Uh, I know that some in our audience know the finer points of hockey. The Chris Johnston Show. We are your friends. The biggest stories, bringing you inside the game. What did you hear? The Chris Johnston Show, powered by Sports Interaction. Want to bet? What is going on? Here's Chris with your host, Julian McKenzie. Part of the game. Surprise. We're in person. This doesn't happen all the time. We got the fist bump in, too. This is amazing, by the way. Um, we got a lot to talk about in terms of topics, but we need to acknowledge the fact that this SDPN studio is amazing. Yeah, the guys did an awesome job with it. This is my third time here now in five weeks, give or take, and and I have just gouged on the candy, too. I mean, that's <laughs> that's the other thing. I don't have candy at home intentionally to to save me from me. But uh, in addition to the beautiful studio you see and all the great things it allows everyone to do, there is just candy everywhere you look in this place. That's why you were shaking so much before. Oh, man, my blood sugar. I'm not kidding. It's just like skyrocketing. I was here yesterday, two days in a row. They won't let you leave. Well, I mean, I don't want to leave. It's actually <laughs> well, that's pretty good. cool. But uh, yeah, what a place and so much candy. Seriously, like Jesse gave me a tour when I just got in here and he's showing me all the different studios. There's office space. I don't even know how much I'm allowed to say is in this building. What, you didn't sign an NDA or what? I mean, Jesse didn't make me sign an NDA, but he was like, be careful what photos you take because we want to do some reveals at some point. Ah. So I was like, all right, cool. I mean, let me not take a photo of everything. And then Nick, producer Nick shows up and he's giving him a tour. And I'm like, no, I was so stupefied by everything. I had to take the tour again because I just couldn't believe how incredible this, this, this space is. Yeah. Now, if you lived in Toronto, we could be in person all the time. Yes. Yes. So it's a long flight, though. So it is a long flight. Long commute. It is a long commute. But uh, hey, man, uh, I have to think. Of, I've, I've been thinking about it ever since I got in here now. <laughs> got to find a way here, maybe. But um, yeah, seriously, I'm really excited about the fact I get to. Anytime I get to see you in person, I'm always really excited about that and getting to see Jesse and, and, and stuff. Uh, Steve, Adam, thanks for coming. Not, No, I'm kidding. They're great. <laughs> Everybody's busy, man. I know, still... I know, I know. I'm just playing around. I know you, you might not realize, but you've walked into the city at a time a bomb has just gone off and everybody yes. is still picking up the pieces around here. Yes, people are still very distraught at the fact the Toronto Maple Leafs uh, out uh, the way that they were dismantled in the second round at the hands of the Pits, at the, sorry, not Pittsburgh, the Florida Panthers. By the way, question. At the end of your podcast on the SDP, you right. were like... Uh, you, you had gotten a text that sort of invalidated everything. I was thinking, was it lease related? Was it something else that was mentioned in the podcast? Like, what, what was that last little tidbit at the end? I'm very curious. It was Coyote's future related. Ooh. Then, so, then ta ta let's table that. We can get there. But let's yeah, it was, it was to do with, the, I mean, that Coyote situation when I was here yesterday doing the STP was still very much unfolding. I mean, mm -hmm. not that it, there's no resolution now, but it's, it's, I think the dust has settled a little more. So some of the things they said might have been dated pretty quickly. So, We'll put that aside because I have a leaps question. So we've heard from Kyle Dubas. We've heard from. Well, we haven't these, heard from him in three days. We haven't for three days. That's fair. But like we've we could at least go back on some some footage. We've, 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 you've talked about him. You gave out that whole list of players who could be gone, who could be staying and all that. Where does Brendan Shanahan fit in all this? That's a big question that I have. And I don't know if as many people are asking that question or if it's weird me being an outsider asking that question. But like. With all of these questions about the three tiers we were talking about the other day, like where does he fit in all of this? And and it should we be worrying about his future? I don't think there's any reason to worry about his future. You know, it's my understanding is two two years beyond this one on his contract. So it's he's in he's the rare person in this organization whose future seems to be at least somewhat clear. And behind the scenes, obviously, he's right in the middle of everything with Kyle Dubas. And and so where I think we're at here early Thursday afternoon is that Kyle Dubas is still has not indicated to the organization, um, you know, if he wants to continue on as a general manager, you know, if it gets to a point where he either does or he doesn't, then Brendan Shanahan's pretty front and center because, uh, you know, he's he's Kyle's boss, and so I think behind the scenes there's been a fair amount of dialogue actually between Dubas and Shanahan. I don't think it's, you know, it's it's sort of radio silence in public. I think that there's probably a lot more going on behind the scenes in terms of figuring out where this goes and and. The other part for Brendan Shanahan is I think because it's been a couple days and you don't know, you've had to start at least going through the exercise of if Kyle isn't back, what do we do? And, you know, I don't know that they have one person circled or anything like that, but I think that, you know, it's 72 hours, 
you know, what happened Monday, as we've discussed a little bit, was a bit of a surprise to everyone, I believe. And now I think that they've had to start thinking of truly what's a plan B and plan C if at some point in time here, Kyle Dubas, you know, phones or has a sit down and says, you know, I just think there's a lot going on at home and I, I just not sure I can give the organization, the staff and the players, the standard that this, you know, that's needed here. Um, and so you're right. There's probably questions about Brendan Shannon because he hasn't spoken to the media, quite frankly. I mean, I think that's where a lot of it comes from. Uh, you know, there's sort of a silence to that, right? You're, in a moment like this, there's uncertainty. Like we all can see it. We all can feel it. And you're almost looking for someone to come out and say, okay, this is the plan. This is how it's going to be. This is why it's going to be okay. And that will be Brendan Shanahan's role, but he's chosen to stay in the background until everything's resolved with Kyle Dubas. And I should mention too, Julian, like one thing that I, I've come to understand is it doesn't sound like there's a pure deadline on Dubas. I think there's, look, this is a sensitive time and topic. I mean, the man kind of bared his soul a little bit. I mean, obviously I think we can all respect you know, he's dealing with what he's called a family issue or some challenges at home. So it's not like anyone wants to be out here saying like, okay, we need to know by this time at this day, yes or no. Um, and so, but everybody involved in those discussions does understand like, oh, the draft is coming up. Ooh. Player meetings. You know, we're going to have to figure out what we're doing with certain players and we, we maybe have some big trades to consider and even things like issuing you know, qualifying offers to restricted free agents is like there is, if you look at the June calendar of events in the NHL, there are a million deadlines to do with contractual related things that, that obviously Brandon Pridham and other people still working in the least front office can kind of handle, but ideally you want the person at the top to be comfortable with it. So man, it's uh you asked a simple question and it's a bit of a long answer, but I, you know, to get back to the very premise of the question, I, I don't have any reason to believe Shanahan's jobs in danger or anything like that. But I think he's navigating a pretty delicate situation behind the scenes. Okay, uh, that's a. I didn't expect all of that from from that one question, but I'm glad I got all of that because that I I do think it's it's a genuine talking point with with Brendan Shanahan's future as much as it is with Kyle Dubas, Sheldon Keefe. Which I mean, in terms of the silence as well, we still don't know up to now if he's going to stay or not, or stay or not. No, and we're we're kind of at a late hour in the off season too, right? Like relatively speaking. You know, we could look around and talk about, you know, Pittsburgh looking for its new general manager, Calgary looking oh, we for will. a new general manager, you know, the Rangers and Columbus and a couple other teams looking for a head coach. But those those processes are all ongoing to a certain degree. There's There's been interviews. In some cases, there's been multiple rounds of interviews and, and even candidates told they're, they're not, you know, the Leafs would be starting at zero right now to replace a general manager potentially, to replace a head coach potentially. I almost think amid that uncertainty, it's hard to think. Think about replacing a president. I mean, Brendan Shanahan is the top hockey voice in the Maple Leafs organization. It's his job primarily to deal with the board, uh, which obviously sets the directive for for where MLS and E goes. You know, that's a huge corporate structure that that includes the Raptors and the buildings and the TFC and all, all this other stuff. And but it's Brendan's job to see the hockey department forward. And so, if you're contemplating maybe Dubis not being back, which I think we have to, I should say, like with. It's hard to know. Like, he only knows what's going on. Like, I I would just be guessing. But it does feel like the longer it goes on, you just wonder, man, like, he really might not be back. Like, this, you know, he might, again, I don't want to go too far into what yeah. could be going on. But you, you start to get that feel. Like, the longer he's not back, you're like, how does, what's, what's happening back there? And so you're going to need Brendan Shanahan to make potentially the next hire there. And then... Obviously, there could the head coaching position maybe isn't quite as urgent because you know you're not you're not having training camp till mid September. So, but the general manager needs to have his or her hand on on top of things quickly here, and and that's why I do get the sense if and again hypothetical if but if there's no Kyle Dubas in the picture, you know if he chooses to move on, you know I don't think they're going to go for a rookie GM again. I, I think because of how tight this window is how critical the decisions facing the organization are. You know, it's tough to throw anybody into that, but I, I think it would be even tougher to elevate someone who's never done the job before. And so, you know, you're probably looking at candidates, and there's a number of them out there that have at least been a general manager prior in their career. Uh, last thing before uh, we do the little You Can Bet That segment, we'll get to some of the other GM searches going on. You mentioned the silence. You mentioned the fact that uh, people it's in this... deafening. Like, how are you handling it? How are other Toronto media types handling this? I know, like, when 
Calgary was going through its silence with whether or not Bradshaw Living was coming back. And Daryl Sutter, that was just a long period of time where we would be, uh, me and media colleagues would be at AHL games and we say, oh, hey, there's Daryl Sutter in the in this section all by himself. Does that mean he's coming back? Does that mean he's not coming back? Like, I know for me, it's like it would it would be very, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I'd be very annoyed. No, I'm not annoyed. I mean, I'm fascinated, if anything, because this is... This is so not what I expected. I mean, keep in mind, we're only two and a half weeks removed from, you know, I was in Tampa and they just won their first series. Like it felt like it felt like this kind of offseason maybe wasn't coming. I mean, there was obviously going to be big choices with Matthews eligible for his extension, all that's like it was clearly a big organizational summer, but the scope of it has grown larger and faster and more unexpectedly than I ever could have imagined. And I think even some of my media colleagues, honestly, Monday was a long day. Like it was a long day and Kyle spoke maybe seven hours into when we got there. And, and I, I think obviously in the moment you recognize the emotion, like you, if you were awake, you recognize that this was a little unusual, but I'm not sure we all fully processed, you know, the possible ramifications of this. And that's what I think has sunk in now is it's gone Tuesday, nothing, Wednesday, nothing, Thursday. Well, I mean, I'm not saying or Thursday now. <laughs> As, as reference, this team has announced a big trade at 1130 at night. So I'm not going to say it's not I'm not saying it's not happening Thursday until it's 1159. But still, we're, we're most of the way through the business day on Thursday and there's nothing. And so you start to think like, wow, this really is this is something. And then, of course, you go back and you, and you watch what was said. You start to think about the ramifications. In my case, a big part of my job is talking to other people around the league and you hear some of their opinions and. You know, that it really was a bomb. I, I don't know that we recognized it was a bomb. If, if I read some of the coverage, even my own story written in real time, like I'm not sure we recognize that that could literally have been potentially the end of Kyle Dupes' run just because Kyle's 37. And as I've said, you, whatever you question about him, like you might not like everything he's done, that's fine. That's a normal GM. There's lots of room for commentary on, on the decisions made. But like he was all in on this team, on this organization for his you know, a huge chunk of his working life. Everybody in place kind of, he's got ties to, you know how much he cares about them. Like the reason he's yelling in that press box in Tampa, obviously he's running hot in the moment, but he was defending Morgan Riley because he cares about him to that degree. Like, you know, whether or not, again, you like that or not, you can, you know how much he's invested in this. And especially as it's become kind of clear that, that MLSE wants to keep him around, your brain just goes like, he couldn't walk away. Could he? I mean, you never know what anyone's going through, right? No. Well, and that's true of everyone in, in wherever you work. It's especially true of people you only know through the television screen or through your phone screen, like that you don't really know. Um, you don't know what's going on behind the scenes. And we don't know, and I don't know, I should be very clear exactly what's going on with Kyle Dubas. But clearly that we're this far down this week without clarity tells me that there's a very real chance he's not back. I I mean, I'll call it now, having no real knowledge of the situation, I don't think we go past Monday without some kind of clarity on somebody. Right. It's a holiday Monday up here in Canada, too. In Victoria Day, yes. I mean, it's, it's again, not, I don't think the Leafs are a prisoner of the business schedule, the, no. the banking hours, quote unquote, no. schedule. But I think ideally they'd want to settle before the weekend just because do you really want to be calling a press conference on Saturday of Victoria Day weekend? Probably not. That being said, and I'm, I promise you, I'm not complaining. I got no big plans. So I'll I was be, about to ask, what were you doing for Victoria Day? I'll be around the city uh, and ready to work if need be. Okay. Nothing. I mean, I'm ex- I'm looking forward to a relaxing weekend. Hopefully, you know, but nothing. No big plans. I'm not going up to a cottage. I'm not going away anywhere. So I'll be here and ready. I'll be back in Calgary come Saturday, and if what I think uh, could go down uh, does go down. I'm going to prepare myself just in case on the Saturday. All right. You mean like emergency pod or something? I don't know if, I mean, I would <laughs> What think, were you thinking? <laughs> I mean, I, w- I mean, you know, I get it's not the Leafs, but uh, I think the Flames GM search uh, is very interesting. Sure. But do you think it's going to be solved on Saturday? I don't think it's going to be solved on Saturday. I think like, I mean, if we're following the tea leaves by our boy Pierre Lebrun, they seem to be getting late into the situation. Right, but I think they had interviews this week still. So I mean, oh, yeah. I don't know that we're at the eleventh hour. I don't know in Calgary, but I mean, depends how you define that. We could talk about that a little bit more after we do. You can bet that I would love to know what's inside your head about that search. 
All right, let's do that. You can bet that with David Bastel. Brought to you by Sports Interaction. Get in the action and make a play. 19 plus. Please play responsibly. You can bet that. Uh, remember to hit up sportsinteraction.com slash SDPN for all of your gaming needs. Uh, right now you can bet on who the top Canadian NHL playoff goal scorer will be. Uh, Sam Reinhart, Chandler Stevenson, both of them at plus 175. Uh, Brandon Montour, if you want to bet on him, at plus 205 as well. Uh, Mark Stone at 185. Jonathan Marcheseau at 199. Tyler Sagan at 205. Uh, Carver Hagee, who uh, has been really good with the game-winning goals at plus 190. Top Canadian NHL playoff goal scorer. Well, if you do this, you have to be picking the team that the person plays on to get to the cup final. Oh, well, yeah, of course. You don't have to pick the winner, though. Like, that's nope. the interesting thing, because you just want the person to play the maximum remaining games possible. Um, I got a feeling the Cats are going to the cup final. Ooh, we got an early cup prediction from I know. Uh, I'm not sure if I was Seach. supposed to reveal at this point of the show. <laughs> we'll re- we'll revisit later on. It doesn't really matter. It's okay. Uh, we'll, we'll get more in-depth predictions as we go on. But I, I like you being saucy off the bat. And... I'm kind of inclined to go Montour. Ooh, big man. He plays a lot of minutes, man. He does play a lot of minutes. And he plays power play minutes. And he's got that swagger, even though Verhege has the swaggy nickname. He does. And so I I think that if uh, the Panthers have success, if they do reach the Stanley Cup final, Brandon Montour will continue to be a big part of it. So that's, I would take a, I don't know if that's a flyer, but it, but it, Usually you'd, you'd probably be inclined to pick a forward in this spot, but I think Montour is a very unique player. The way he plays for Florida, jumps in the rush a lot, and uh, you know might be worth a look. It might be worth a look. He does need to pick up his game though, because uh, he has not gotten a point in his last four games. Jeez, do he? he had, what did he have? Do. Six goals in the first series or something like? Yeah, like he 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 got a, he got he got he got at least one goal uh, in the Leaf series at the beginning, but I think he was just held off the score sheet after that. But, but in the do, first round, he was scoring like a oh, first yeah. line center. Absolutely, he was he was lighting it up. Yeah, plus he sent that game to overtime in Game 7 against Boston. Extended Man, their season. Playoff hero, uh, Brandon Montour. Uh, he's been pl- he's been playing really well this year. The hard thing with all these teams, none of them are built around one sort of scoring option. Yeah. Which is a good thing, I think. Uh, obviously, you might have players you identify as the best, but I think that what makes the the, the pick here a little tricky is there, there's not like one player like, well, if that team plays right through the cup final. He's definitely leading them in scoring. Looks like you need a balanced lineup. You do need a balanced lineup to get you through to the end of the postseason. Don't forget to check out sportsinteraction.com slash STPN for all the best odds before game, in game, and the best props. Again, sportsinteraction.com slash STPN. So the Calgary Flames, uh, according to uh, Pierre Lebrun in one of his latest columns at The Athletic, saying uh, they're getting very late in their GM search. That might not necessarily mean they're going to come up with the GM candidate, you know, tomorrow, but they've talked to a bunch of people. There's some names that have been thrown out there. The internal candidates are there too. What We haven't really talked about this topic that much. What's your read on that situation? Well, look, they're in the same situation that we're sort of talking about with Toronto and that all the same deadlines that are facing the Maple Leafs front office are facing the Flames. And, you know, whoever comes into this job has some some reasonably big decisions to make because that was clearly not the season anyone from ownership on down uh, right into the dressing room had envisioned for Calgary last year. And so, yeah, I do think that, it, that the next week or so would be a reasonable timeline. I think that there are at least two to three interviews in with some candidates. So, you know, that, that shows that, that they're narrowing to some degree. There, you know, there isn't a lot of specifics I've heard out there. I mean, you know, we know that they've talked to Stan Bowman, uh, for example. Craig Conroy, right from the beginning, was identified as the assistant general manager, someone who's been around the organization so much, as you know, Julian, mm-hmm. as someone who could get that job. And I still think he can. You know, what's interesting about when you get to do this is you get a chance to talk. Like, it's it's not just who you interview because those are all you know, 1A candidates to get the job. It's it's a chance to have outside people with experience in the industry to come in and give you their opinions on your organization, give you opinions maybe on some of your players and what they would do. And so I think if done properly, it's smart to talk to a lot of people. And that seems to be what Calgary's approach has been through this um, because you you get a chance to maybe steal some ideas in addition to identifying hopefully the, the best candidate to run your organization forward. Which... 
can un, which when you say that, that completely explains why uh, Brad Treliving wouldn't be thrown out there uh, for interviews as he's still contract to, contractually obligated with the Flames until June thirtieth. Yeah, I mean that that's an unusual situation. That 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 sort of thing happens from time to time, but. It, I would say it's not industry practice. I mean, he is under contract. And look, I have contracts at certain jobs and they do say what you can and can't do. Like this, it, that, there's nothing nefarious about that. It's just the fact that they're enforcing his contract to the letter of the law. You know, essentially it would seem to be taking him out of the mix for these jobs because mm-hmm. if he can't talk to another team till July 1st, how many times we see a GM replaced after July 1st? like in the same calendar year. It's it's so rare, it basically never happens. I mean, the times that new GMs are hired are between sort of like March and June-ish. Yeah, you give um, you get enough time to familiarize yourself with the organization, get involved in all those meetings, go through a draft. Like getting hired after a draft would be very weird. Yeah, and the truth is a lot of GMs get hired around now, and even the first draft is weird because you're jumping in six weeks out. I mean, you're not going to come in and be like, no, 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 we got to rearrange all the pieces on this board. I mean, you have a scouting staff and a process that's been in place. I think a lot of GMs almost just sort of, you know, oversee from that point. And and similarly, you don't necessarily come in and start trading everyone right away. No. Like, you know, I think the standard is that you want a year of observing in, in organization from the inside before you're making big decisions, which is what's kind of interesting in Calgary, right? Because those decisions maybe need to be made in some cases a little sooner. Um, and yeah, so I, you know, it's, it'll be interesting to see if they don't go with Craig Conroy, how that goes, I think, you know, just because he is so well-respected and so loved and has meant a lot to the organization has, you know, grown his game since playing the game, you know, done a lot of different things and is sort of seen as the, the, the top internal candidate, you know, how, how that, what that means if they don't, I guess. I've, I've found the whole thing in Calgary weird, right? Tell me. Well, you let your GM walk away. Yes. You take someone in Don Maloney who worked under that GM, promote him to a president's role, and then allow him to fire the coach that the GM didn't want to work with. I find that really confusing too. It's like, and like I, I tried to ask the question, like, was there any point in the season where you thought about, or at least where Brad Trilliving had thought about firing Daryl, and Don was like, no, that that never came up. So like. Why would you go through this whole, as you said, kind of ass backwards process like that way? Like, it does seem very weird. And I can understand why people from the outside would look at that and be like, well, why did you do it that way? It does seem weird. It doesn't mean you won't end up in a good place. Right. And and the one thing I would say is that Brad living as long as he's in Calgary, like maybe it's not the worst thing for him for a fresh start and for the organization either. Mm-hmm. So maybe if you had done this differently and, and Daryl was fired, Daryl Sutter was fired right at the end of the season. And then maybe Brad Living was thinking, okay, I'll sign an extension. Like that might, sometimes you still end up where you should be. But I just think for how big these organizations are, how much money, like sometimes they're not operated in the most sophisticated manner. Yeah. And again, I'm not levying that criticism just at Calgary. Like I, I yeah. see that time and time again, this, this, this time of year. I mean, a lot of things happen and from a fire, like that just doesn't add up to me. Yeah. It, it does kind of read like a weird situation. I'm still obviously being the new guy there, getting a sense of how things are run. Like that just seems very weird to me and just, uh, we can spin our wheels about that, but uh, all that for, for Brad and, and whoever his replacement's going to be, I'll just say this. A couple of weeks ago, Don Maloney had an interview with a good buddy of mine, Pat Steinberg at Sportsnet 960. And he was asked about, you know, GM candidates and all that. And you can only say so much. And he had mentioned that he would like to see a progressive thinker, someone who's on the cusp of getting their first opportunity. And that's why a guy like Craig Conroy would make sense. He's been in the organization. He's played all those years with the organization. He worked as assistant to Jay Feaster, then gets bumped up to AGM. He He's a decision maker. He's not just some pretty face that's there. Again, he's got personable skills, but like he has a hand on signing a bunch of guys who have been in that organization for years. He's right. very familiar with so many things that go on in the organization. And yeah, he had the interview for, for a Buffalo job a couple of years ago. This is a guy who kind of fits that description uh, while also, and I, and I keep harping on this press release that they put out uh, after Tree decided to part ways, where they were saying, you know what, we we look forward to build on Brad's work. 
Like, I, I don't know. I, I look at Yeah, work. well, they're not blowing it up. No, like whoever gets this job, I mean, look at the contracts that are there. There's no way you could blow it up right away. You have to get someone who has to build upon that work. And if you get someone who not only, you know, can build on that work, but is very familiar with how that work was done. I don't think Craig is the worst hire. I think he's a, I think he'd be a really good hire personally. That wasn't a strong statement though. I don't think he's the worst hire. Okay. That's fair. That's fair. I don't think it, I say that because I see people say, you know what? Eric Tulski should be there. Brandon Purdom should be there. All these newer, younger guys, like guys who would genuinely get that chance. But like, I don't like, I see people that go, you know what? They got to blow it up and they got to get some newer voices. I don't feel as if Craig Conroy would be this bad voice. I think well, he would be a good voice. Oh, now let me put it this way. Cause this actually applies not just to the Calgary job, but I think it's broadly. Sure. If you bring someone in externally, and this is something that the public, even a lot of media members don't think about, like that means everyone that you're now working with, if you're that person has been there, right? So all the reasons that you are where you are, where you're hiring a new GM because shit's gone wrong usually is still there. And it, like, how long does it take to actually figure out who's worth keeping, who, who should maybe be promoted, who's got in, in the wrong spot, whose you know, talents aren't being best used? That takes a long time. And so the benefit to someone like Craig Conroy is that I'm sure he has all those opinions formed, right? Yeah. He hasn't been the main person with his hand but he's got opinions on, you know, people lower down on the depth chart than, than you would know because you cover the team. But certainly the people, I wouldn't even know who they are. But those people are all part of a successful organization. And so I think if you're Calgary and you want to build on Brad's work, it's harder in a weird way to bring someone in externally because I just think the process of doing that, it's not just making decisions about who's a second line center. I mean, that's a decision and it's a big decision. But it, it all those things have to happen. And... It's, it will be similar to the Leafs if Dubas leaves. It's like, do you elevate Brandon Pridham? Or as I said in the first block, you know, you, know, you probably bring someone externally and well then who, like all bets are off. Yeah. What becomes then of Jason Spezza, for example, in the Toronto, like, cause he was the assistant to Kyle Dubas only one year in. I mean, there's, there's sort of like a trickle down effect from these decisions that is massive for organizations. And so that's also what Calgary's doing. Like, they're looking at their best candidates, but I think they also have to calculate what might happen if, if we hire column A, column B, column C. Because one other thing that has to be discussed, too, there seems to be a bit of confusion about Craig Conroy's future. Uh, there was, a, I mean, I think Elliot was trying to speculate uh, if he had been signed to a contract extension. That didn't seem pretty clear. We tried to ask that uh, at one of the pressers over the last month or so. And John Bean, the team, uh, the CSEC president was saying they're all under contract. But he didn't say like, oh, they were renewed or for anything like that. Like, his contract runs through through June thirtieth. Like if 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 Craig Connor doesn't get that job, like there's a possibility he leaves. And the same goes for another candidate we have not mentioned at all to this point, Brad Pascal, who has been very underrated in this entire search with his experience with Hockey Canada, but also uh, his work on the Calgary Wranglers and and what they've been able to do over the last two years. Like he has a legit chance at this job, but like up to now we don't know about their futures. There's a possibility if you bring someone in from the outside, maybe those guys leave. I mean, this is that's just what it is. It's harsh business, right? It I is. think you're betting. Does either of them want to leave Calgary? I don't know the answer, but like, are they willing to go move somewhere else to, to try it somewhere else? But also, if you get passed over by your bosses for a job you want, I mean, it's clear what they think of you. It doesn't mean they hate you. It no. just means that they think someone's better qualified or better or more ready or whatever. It's, you know, it's hard. Every team has two or three assistant GMs. There's only one, right? You just do the math. It's like a pyramid. Yeah. It's hard to get to the top job. And I guess nowadays the president of hockey ops is probably the true top job. Um, but yeah, I'd be curious to see how it shakes down. It sounds like it's close, though. It does sound like it's getting close. That's what it seems like. Uh, anything else with that before I move on to the Rangers? No, sir. Okay. So the New York Rangers head coaching search. Uh, we know Gerard Gallant is no longer coaching the team. Uh, what have you heard on that front in terms of prospective uh, candidates for that job? Well, I think everyone's sort of trying to go through Chris Jury's hockey DB page and figure out who he's been connected to in the past. And hockey being hockey is like, you could find all kinds of potential links there. You know, I think the one that is of some interest is, is Patrick Waugh, uh, his former teammate and, you know, someone who's currently wrapping up the latest uh, iteration of his junior career at the Quebec Ramparts who are, you know, on the verge perhaps of going to the Memorial Cup as we're recording this. But Patrick Waugh has indicated he's done after the season in Quebec. He's, you know, hired Gil Scott, a respected coaching agent, and is out canvassing on his behalf. And the Rangers have at least expressed interest there. Now, 
it's too soon to say, are they going to hire him? I like that. He's still, he's coaching games like tonight. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like, you know, but there's at least kind of go back to what I was saying about the, all the candidates for a GM job. There, there's teams that are looking at him. And you know, what's interesting is I think the Rangers might've wanted to look at Joel Quenville, but it just seems like the league that was a non-starter for the league. And so now they've had to pivot elsewhere. And, and that's a, it's a highly desirable job. Like, that team, first of all, maybe a bit of a disappointment this year. Maybe just didn't ever quite get up to their expected level and then obviously losing in round one. But that's lots of good players. Obviously, New York speaks for itself. Original six team. You know, I think that's the kind of job someone like Mike Babcock would love to. It, it like It's not a certainty Mike Babcock will coach the NHL again, but I, I feel like that's the sort of place if they went there that the, that, that would get his attention. Do you remember when we did that episode in Adam's basement and there was a story about Mike Babcock that was released? I think it was David Singh from Sportsnet wrote about him, mm-hmm. kind of followed him. And one of the things we discussed from that story was how it didn't seem as if Mike Babcock was like contrite or or felt any kind of remorse for any of that stuff that was kind of pinned on him, whether it was the list with Mitch Marner or any of his, his past behavior or anything like that. I mean, it's, it's been over a year since that's happened. Do we, I haven't heard anything about stuff he might have done to atone for anything or stuff to prove he's a different man from what he's done. And I, I get there's other people we could talk about with the same description as well. But Mike Babcock being mentioned, uh, we, we were talking about in the group chat. I was like, really? Like, we're going to, I guess I'm, I'm not surprised that his name's kind of thrown out there. But at the same time, I'm like, really? We're going to go down this road? Yes, because I mean, look at I haven't talked to Mike myself in in a long, long time, so I, I I can't speak for what he may or may not say if he's in one of these interviews or if he gets hired. What he'll say to the microphones, mm-hmm. but I think everything gets lumped into good and bad in today's world sometimes. And on the range of like Bill Peters to Mike Babcock to maybe even Joel Quenville, like how you evaluate their actions or what's happened, like it's not all the same thing, in my opinion. Right. And so I would get if we're talking about Bill Peters, why you would just say, yeah, like like there's the, no, there's I not would, a discussion I, about hiring no, him. No, I think where Mike Babcock is clearly he's made mistakes. Like and and but to me, and this is just where my barometer is. Sure, especially depending on how he views those today and what he wants to say about that, which I'll leave to him because I don't know. I feel like there's a world where he could coach again, and you feel comfortable, but you might not like that. Like, and I'm willing to accept that, but I believe keeping in mind the people making these decisions are more probably like me and older. I think that there's good. He'll be, he'll have a chance to work again if he wants to. I just don't know. He's been out for a long time, like three or four years. Yeah. It's three years. I think. It, it's been, it's been a while. I always get like Patrick Waugh being mentioned in all of this. Like he has not coached in the NHL in like, like more than five years. Like I yeah, have, but quite, he's been coaching. He has at least been coaching. You're right. Like, I think that is different. Like, he is in the fire. I know the QMJHL. But, you know, coaches that he's coaching against could be considered for NHL jobs. Absolutely. Right? It happens all the time. That, Absolutely. That, so, like, I think he's in the mix. Like, you know, I think Mike Babcock, as I would do in his shoes, has been traveling around and spending time with his family and enjoying the, the riches that his career has brought him. Um, you know, you just wonder. I know how competitive he is. But I don't know if he gives a shit about the way he went out. or Like, I don't think he feels like he's got to go prove something. It would just be, I think if you hand him a team like the Rangers, that's that's the kind of scenario he'd be back in. Like, the idea that you go in there, it's probably a couple-year commitment. We're not talking a rebuild. And it's like, can I take what is a clearly a really good team and get them to the next level and maybe win a cup? My thinking is... You're putting him in a good situation. You're not... You're not like, I know he was interviewed in, or discussed in Columbus... I'm not saying that isn't a good situation. It's just not a good situation for a veteran coach, I don't think. And also for a guy who's won a cup and was has been in the bright lights of Toronto, like would he not no disrespect to Columbus, would he look at a team like Columbus as like small fries compared to like the Rangers, where it's like you're not getting any bigger than that in the NHL? I don't know about that. Like as Argue. weird as it sounds, I'm pretty sure he had a property in Ohio at one point. Okay. Like I could I don't know if it's a city or organizational based thing. It's just more where Columbus is. Like Columbus is two years away from being two years away, right? Like they're, they're just, they're kind of in a rebuild. Um, 
you know, they don't have a first line center or maybe a second line center. You know, like it's they, they just need a lot. They, you know, they're turning things over there. They were hoping to win the Connor Bedard lottery. Like they could have used like six or seven other teams yeah. that, that had like a legit, you know, shot by the numbers. Um, so I don't, I don't see him fitting there. The Rangers, that it's to go back to the question though, like if they hire someone younger, which I think they're considering some of those kind of up and comers, or if they go with a more established hand, like that, that's an interesting call for Chris Drury because, you know, Gerard Glant was his experience as they come and has had lots of success with, you know, with a few different teams. And, you know, after two years of making the playoffs, boom, punted. Here's wow, mutual, what was it? Mutual. Mutual party of the ways. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't, it? it really wasn't working for either side. No. Here's my one point about Mike Babcock because he has essentially established himself as a hard ass. I don't think I'm wrong in saying that. No. We're, and I get this happened in a different organization, but we are how many days, how many weeks off from the Calgary Flames deciding that they did not want a hard ass who they had given a two-year extension to. Daryl Sutter's Sider. next level, though. Yes. That's fair. That I, Yeah, that's probably like in the fair. In the day, in the old days, that's in like true. 2004, Daryl Sutter was called a hard ass, and Mike Babcock was probably a progressive. Like, I, I'm on a scale at that point in time. To the point I want to get to, and I guess we can, that's fair if we want to debate the how these two vary on that scale, but because we're in that time now where I don't think certain players necessarily want that, I think it's a bit more split, and I think some of those bigger voices, uh, maybe especially in that Rangers locker room who might not want a voice like that, they would say something now. They would say like, okay, we all know if, yeah, we see that Mike Babcock has all of that all the accolades and all that like is he the guy we want in that room i would sure i would wonder if there's there, there, i think there would be some pushback chris jury said much like we heard in calgary that part of the reason they fired gerard gallant was the, the the end of season interviews with the players yep like the players spoke up maybe not unanimously or whatever it was but there was enough there that they were like you know what we can't go forward with this which you're right that's a new idea altogether yeah new being if even if 10 years ago that happened they'd be like we gotta get rid of these players What's wrong with these players can play with the coach? <laughs> Just play hockey and shut up. Snowflakes. Yeah, I don't know, man. We're in a do we're in a new era now, and I'm all about player empowerment. And look, I'm not trying to advocate for people getting fired, but I do think that if a player with a platform, a player with, you know, a, a significant stick in the locker room is able to say something and players step up with them too, that's empowering and that's good. It's a tricky line though. A coach's job is to push you beyond what you think is possible. Yes. And obviously there are, there's lines here that you shouldn't cross as the coach, but how you do that now, I feel like it's almost more challenging because it's not just a yelling, screaming, threatening kind of thing. Again, I'm not saying that's bad, but I, I think the job has evolved to where that's a really, how do you push those buttons now yeah. with, without crossing that line? Because the teams that win, it's when the players do more than they think they can do. You're right. And there's there's a line that motivation is tricky. Absolutely. And and I think there are guys who can exist as hard asses today without stepping over that line. Maybe you have your habitual line steppers, but like not the ones who, you know, completely go over and, and go overboard. Do you know what's weird? I used to I responded well to hard ass bosses when I was young. Really? But like I even if I think back on some circumstances without getting like too specific to protect everyone's like I could think back now and be like Oh, other people I worked with, like that didn't, that style wasn't working for them. But for me, for some reason, I always sort of liked st knowing where I stood. And so like, if I, you know, and, and there's one boss in particular, but there's a couple that like, if I screwed up, like there was no, there was no question about like, where it was like, oh man, this is a big one. And so that worked for me, but then my, co you know, my colleagues at the time, I look around like that probably didn't work for them. And, and it's got to be the same in a dressing room. It's kind of my point is that yes, they're probably the coach's job is probably to learn not how to push everyone. They, everyone has different buttons. Some need the stick. Some need the call out. Like I feel like Nazem Kadri, for example, yes, benefited at times in his career for some of the tough love that the organizations gave him. And I think if you talk to him, he would like agree with that. Like the fact Last year when he won the Stanley Cup in Colorado and, and you know, I, I chatted with Dallas Akins, who was his first coach in the American Hockey League with the Toronto Marlies at the time. Like, they're still really close. But Travis, sorry, Travis, Dallas Akins <laughs> called him out as being out of shape right out, right out of the gate. 
Toronto Sun headline, Leafs first round pick, Fatso on the front page. Jeez. But here's the thing. Nazem, the way he's built, that kind of stuff fueled him in the right way. And and I don't think it it inhibited his development at all. And it might have helped it when when like when the dust settles and you see it. But there's lots of players that you gave them that, like they just they just go away. They just give up on you. They just say, F this. Anyway, I, I don't envy coaches, is kind of what I'm getting at here. Is I think it's when you're working with humans and you're in charge, it's not an easy thing to do. No, uh, it is not an easy thing to do. But it is. A, I think it was a very interesting discussion we just had over hard-ass bosses and coaches and stuff. I'm, I'm thinking about hard-ass bosses I've had in my life now. I don't know if I respond that well to that. I, I like someone who's a little bit more... I like knowing where I stand too, but I think there are more... I think there are better ways to make your point about certain things without being an ass. Sure. That's where I stand on that. And I'm coming at this saying... I recognize that not everybody would like this. 100%. I, I almost just don't need to talk about it too much. It's just like, okay, where are we today? CJ, you effed up. And just, like, be better. Like, that that works for me. Yeah, there's Like, I, I can handle, like, hey, man, you effed up. But, like, don't, like, don't, like, wear that on me. Don't, like, be like, hey, don't F up like you did the last time. There's I don't mind being told you effed up. But just just don't get to a point where you're hanging that over my head all the time. And, like, that's, like, my reputation. Right. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. <laughs> we, that was not on the schedule of what we're talking about today. No, it wasn't. Um, here are some other things that are on the schedule. Um, do you want to mention anything with the Senators and, and the fact they're still looking for an owner? Or do you want to get to the Coyotes? Uh, senators will just go quickly. Yeah. They, you know, the final bids were due on Monday. The binding bids to the league. Uh, you're down to the final few. It seems, you know, based on... What I've heard here in the last day, day and a half, it sounds like Michael Anlauer's bid is viewed as the most favorable. I mean, it's a tough thing. I to, knew it. I knew tough, it. I knew it. It's a tough thing to handicap. Oh. But I've had a few different people from different parts like, that aren't talking to each other. That's kind of the word going around. And do you know one reason it, it would make I mean, first of all, it makes sense. Michael Anlauer, lots of money, has been a minority owner of the Montreal Canadiens for a long time, knows everybody in the Board of Governors room, knows Gary Bettman, Bill Daly. And he, you know what? You didn't hear him say a thing this whole time, did you? No. He didn't do one interview. He walked no. by us at actually at the one board of governors meeting. He sort of like walked by us and like gave a cheeky smile, like kind of like, you know, I can't say anything. Um, so I don't know. We'll see how that plays out. I think we'll know. I think we'll know s- relatively soon, but nothing imminent there. They still have to work through those bits. I'm not happy because I knew in my head all this like we were looking at if Ryan Reynolds was interested we were looking at if the weekend was interested we were looking at if 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 Snoop Dogg like, there was a whole thing going on with Snoop Dogg hey like I don't know what NHL said this the other day on a podcast like does Snoop Dogg know what Ottawa is and all that we have all these different celebrities who are taking an interest in the Ottawa Senators and have an opportunity to make them a cool franchise, which I don't think they've ever been in their history, but we're going to go with Michael Anlauer, who, okay, minority order of the Montreal Canadiens, but, you know, typical white guy with money who's got money who's going to own this team, and we're just going to go back to where we There was an opportunity right there. Oh, wait a minute. Right Stop. there. Stop. Oh. I, my information isn't necessarily correct. Like, I'm not even sure the decision's been made. Dude, I... I it's just, it's just what I'm hearing is that his bid is, but like, I don't, let's not go too far because I know, Snoop Dogg might still end up owning the team and then we both look like idiots. So, <sighs> and, and I'll say this too with Ryan Reynolds, I think the door could still be open to him to join the winning bid. I just don't know if he's going to do that. Like what he had said previously is he was in with the Remington group and that was his, he was putting his hat there. And I think the NHL all along wanted him to just wait around to see how the bid process went out. But there's still a world, even if it's as small as it might be. There's still a world where Ryan Reynolds could be involved here. Are you saying that I overreacted just now? Well, I just you don't can say that I did. You know, that's fair. If, you, I, if that's fair, if I did, I just think of the old takes exposed and I'm like, they could be announcing this in like six days. And so I might play that clip and you're railing against Ann Lauer. And <laughs> instead we got like Snoop Dogg up on the stage and he's like, yeah, we got the team. So, oh no, Julian railed against a white billionaire with money. No. <laughs> well, that, that, I mean, look, man, <laughs> You have a mic and I have a mic. You can you, you say what you want into your mic and I say what I want into mine. I love making CJ uncomfortable with these types of comments. Okay. Um, what about the Arizona Coyotes? And uh, obviously we know about the fact that uh, the propositions that were put out voted no. Uh, they're trying to figure out some options. It looks like they're going to play at Mullet Arena, at least for next year. What about that situation? This is worrying. Yes. Because they're going to play at Mullet Arena next year, which is a small venue. 
And the reason they were willing to do that originally is because this idea is that the Tempe project was going to go through. So this was a bridge to the kingdom that was going to save the coyotes in terms of where they're at in Arizona. And now, unless something works out with this new owner of, of the Suns in Phoenix, with an opportunity maybe to join his group, I mean, we'll see what else they can come up with, but I don't see a lot of other options for them in Arizona. Like, I'm telling you, a lot of work went into trying to get that Tempe entertainment district built. Like, I, it, that goes back two, three years. Like, I don't think you can just pivot now and be like, oh, wait, take those renderings and put them in this other vacant spot of land. Um, and so maybe things will work out with the Suns. Who knows? I would have guessed that, that Arizona was being moved many years ago just because they haven't been able to get this in line. This is not a shot at their fans at all. No. No cheap shots coming from this podcast. No. I've been down there lots. It's not about the people, but it is about the situation. They don't, it's not a viable business the way it's being run. And so I'm just worried that if we get into next season, or like, you know, I'm talking a couple months from now, and it becomes clear there's just no hope for them in Arizona, that you have like an Oakland A's scenario going on where it's like a phantom team where the locals know it's not sticking around, where it's all just about, hey, are they going to Salt Lake City for 24, 25? Or are they going to Houston or Oklahoma City or Kansas City or all these other places they've been rumored to maybe being moved? I think Salt Lake City still is the most likely option if they are moved. Um, but I'm worried about what next season looks like. And we already know, like, the product on the ice. They've, they've gone through an aggressive rebuild. Um, and so, and who knows what other contracts, you know, they got Jacob Voracek on their cap sheet now. I mean... Like the list of players who ended their careers as Coyotes without playing for the Coyotes is long. Isn't Shea Weber on their list too? He got now? traded, didn't he? Again? He got oh no, he got traded to Vegas and then he got traded to them. Yeah, he did. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Like in retirement, he's been traded twice. <laughs> uh, yeah. Or in, you know, you can't call it retirement because he's still getting paid. Yeah, exactly. But Get paid. anyway, that's my thought there is like, it, this still has to shake out. I think that they were pretty su surprised. I mean, everyone knew it was a possibility. You put it to a, a local vote. Like, you and I can think whatever we want. I mean, we don't know what our neighbors think until they go to the, the ballot box. And, and in this case, you didn't know how many neighbors were going to show up. The final number was in the 30s percent. So not, I mean, I think that's normal for elections, but it's, you know, you're, you're leaving things up to chance with that kind of scenario. So anyway, they're going to play next year at Mold Arena unless things change abruptly. And I'm worried about what that could look like if it becomes clear the Coyotes aren't staying for the season beyond that one. So I believe it's a low voter turnout, but also the voters that did turn up were much older and just really didn't get the message that was being put out by the team and essentially the league for, for this project to work. Essentially. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, it's a lot of money. Yeah. Taxpayer money. So I don't pay taxes in Maricopa County. So I'm going to just say, I'm not criticizing anyone for however they decide to vote like that. You know, you voted a certain way and you live there for the next 20 years. You're, you're paying for that. So if you don't want that where you live, that's the, the way the system works in Arizona. There's these referendums on big decisions and the people chose. I'm glad you also said we're not going to do cheap shots to essentially to Coyotes fans on this pod because I don't like the idea. Maybe when, when you're younger and you're into, you know, having hockey work in all these different Canadian markets, like a second Ontario team or, or Quebec, like I, I definitely feel for Quebec fans too, but like, I find when you're younger, you look at a team like Arizona, like, oh, you have no fans. But then when you get older and you see teams move around or you experience something like like the Montreal Expos moving, like you show sympathy to fans in Arizona when they're going through something like this and they have all that uncertainty. So I think if you're if you're you're watching this if and you're you're dumping on Coyotes fans because, you know, hey, they might lose their team and all that, like you should you should refrain from that because that is not a cool experience. It's not fun at all. And I think if the league ultimately wants to grow the game, like I, 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 it took me a while to realize this, but they need something like this to work. Yeah. Well give, I mean, I know everyone wants to make fun of Batman for this and maybe we're at the point that, that you should, but he is at least tried to make it work. Like, I don't think there's any doubt about that. He, he has not opted to move that team when he's had an opportunity. I mean, the league ran it in bankruptcy for a couple of years. Yeah. And the league has loaned money back to the current owners, I believe, to fund the debt. Like, the NHL has done what it can to try to make it work, but this is what you need to work. You need a good owner, yeah. a stable owner, and you need a building that is, like, in the right place that fans want to go to and spend money and allow the operation to float itself. And when you don't have both of those things, you, you have problems. And look at... The reason I don't thump on any fans, what do most people go to sports for? It's a, you know, life can be hard. 
work can be stressful family stuff like it's your escape or whatever it's it's like this is where i devote my energy my time it's great this is like the one percenter club the owners like it's like it's them trying to figure this all out and and trying to figure out how to bilk money you know i guess the point is is like there's a huge disconnect between a fan base and the ownership decisions yeah and yeah i i feel bad for arizona honestly like i've as I said, I probably, I don't know, I've been there 20, 30, 40, I don't know, a lot of times. And it, it's it's not the people's fault, but it also wasn't their fault they didn't want to drive like an hour each way to Glendale on a Tuesday night in November to watch the Blues and Coyotes play or whatever. And I'm not picking on, but you know, again. There are like, things to do on a Tuesday night. Well, or like go home and sleep because work is busy and stressful and you can just watch the game on your couch. Yes. And it's cheaper that way. It's much cheaper that way. The beer's cheaper out of your fridge than when you go to the arena. And it's you're you're not putting dollars. You're not putting in the gas money to drive that hour. Yes, like I, I get it. It's not. It was not an ideal situation. And honestly, I think if they leave Arizona, we're going to be talking about you know a relocation or an expansion in Arizona in the future. They just they got to get a building built in the right place. Yeah. Again, Scottsdale, please. <laughs> Scottsdale. Is Scottsdale really that cool of a... Yes, it's a top five place in North America. So so Jesse wasn't BSing when he said top five yesterday. No. It's awesome. Okay. Well, it depends what you like. Everyone likes... Some people like the middle of Manhattan, right? Like, that's their dream. Like, they just love busy city, energy, what have you. Like, Scottsdale's more chilled out. Lots of nice restaurants. It's warm. You can see the the deserty mountains. Or I guess they're not Ooh. mountain mountain. It's nice. It's It's... I can see why. Trust me, there's a reason why so many former NHLers that played for the Coyotes have stayed there. It's a good place. It's, you know, there's some other, but yeah, it, it ticks a lot of boxes. Before we get to stick taps, do you have predictions for the Eastern Conference and the Western Conference final? Florida Panthers in six. Over the Carolina Hurricanes. It's very interesting. They're up against a really good Carolina Hurricanes team. You should fade me, by the way. I, I think I don't know what my current picks are, but it's not. I have not had a good spring. Oh, I've had a terrible spring. And I am going to say the Vegas Golden Knights okay. beat the Dallas Stars in seven. Okay, so I have the exact opposite. <laughs> love it. I love it. Also, you could tell that so like, you have the Carolina Dallas final. I have a Carolina, which Dallas. is a Finns dream. Yes, that's true. That would be like the all Finland final. I don't know it how many Finns would be involved, but. I've got a lunch. I've got a bunch of Finnish reporter buddies. They would. This would be their Super Bowl. If we get Carolina, Dallas, and they all come and cover the final, no matter who's in it. But often there's like one Finn in the whole series, right? So like every day they're like hitting hitting that person up. In this case, they would just they'd be overflowing with Sebastian Ajos and Miro Heiskanen, Jesse Puliarvi, Jesperi Kakanyemi, like like Carol Joel Kiviranta Joel Kiviranta isn't Rupe Hints also Finnish Rupe Hints Rupe Hints yeah like this is <laughs> I like that the anti Ranta anti Ranta is also Finnish you're absolutely right I'm telling you it would be a massive event for the Finns and I love the Finns so <laughs> what's the time difference between seven uh, hours of course you know that of course you know that I've been to Finland multiple times on vacation, not just for work. Yeah, that's true. What If I were to plan a trip to Finland, where should I go? Well, Helsinki, go in the summer, first of all, or, or now, but go at this time of year because instead of having dark year round or day round, you have basically light all day long. And when the weather's nice, i.e. 20 Celsius and above, it's on the sea. It's beautiful. There's saunas, great like eating and dining culture. The warmest hearted people you could ever meet. So I'd I start in Helsinki and then you got to go to Tampere. Uh, that's where the world championships are currently being held. It's the home of hockey in Finland. It's where the Finnish Hockey Hall of Fame is. The nicest arena in Europe, probably arguably for hockey, Nokia Arena is in where the worlds are, was opened a year or two ago. Um, so I would say go to those two places. But, you know, I haven't been the, the, the far north of Finland. I actually would like to go to, but it's it's you need time. And, you know, sometimes when I go to Europe, I'm trying to jam in a few things. Yeah. But I, I might go there this summer. I haven't I haven't finalized my plans. But so July, once uh, free agency winds down, uh, indeed. I love a sauna, man. You're a, you're a sauna man, eh? Yeah. The first time, I mean, I must have told the story. I, the first time I went to Finland was 2012 World Hockey Championship, I'm, and I'm covering it. Have I told the story? Stop me. Uh, keep telling you. Stop that. me. I'll stop stop me. And I'll so I'm there in Helsinki. I stayed in Airbnb for like three weeks because uh, it's a long tournament, and there was like the old school sauna around the corner like i think it's from the 40s and it's it's like a giant giant thing and it's separate like it's men only 
And so, but I went in there on like a Friday afternoon and, you know, everyone's speaking Finnish naturally, but I could hear them. They're like, I don't understand the language. Like you could tell they're talking about hockey. Yeah. Um, and then one guy comes over and he just like gives me a beer. Oh like he like, God. he like recognized me as like an outsider and was just sort of like, that was his peace offering. Oh, and it was just cool. so cool. It's like a old school. Anyway, it's just a really unique place. And it's the one thing I love about it. If we get down to it, there's a hockey podcast. I got hockey in my blood. It's a true hockey country. Yes. Like it might be the one place outside. It might have more interest in hockey per capita than Canada. It's just, it's a small country. I think 6 million people, give or take 5 million. Um, but you know, like if Finland plays in a gold medal game at the world hockey championships, like 4 million people watch it. Like it's like 80%. And and you and I both know like, well, hockey's widely popular here. It doesn't have that level of reach. Maybe Canada in the gold medal final once every, well, in this case, we don't know what, but <laughs> once every 12 years or something, then, then a huge percentage of the country watches because that's a true event. But I remember like my mom watched, you know, the 2010 gold medal game, like, and she wouldn't otherwise be watching flames Oilers on a Saturday night. So anyway, I'm ranting and raving, but I love Finland. Never apologize for ranting. And, and, raving. and that was a cool story. Do you know, it's funny too. My buddy, Antti Mackinen, he's the voice of hockey in Finland. And I, and I actually say that he has the loneliest job in hockey huh. because he calls NHL games in Finland year round that start at like one or 2 AM his time. Mm -hmm. He calls them from a closet he has no color man or color person. So he's the entire voice. He, he does everything by himself. He does the technical thing. He's there at 2 a.m. all year long calling games overnight. And then he gets to come live for the Stanley Cup final. Like what a payoff. Like he calls like 100 plus games a year in a closet in the middle of the night in one of the darkest countries in the world because he loves hockey so much. And then he gets to come and he's going to be at you know, wherever the, the final, let's go by me. He's going to be at FLA, FLA live arena calling Panthers golden Knights, you know, starting June 3rd. Like how cool is that? I got to say though, uh, I would imagine your friend might prefer a Dallas Carolina final. He would. He absolutely would. He would. A few years ago, Tavo Teravainen scored a cup final uh, overtime goal. And he was like, it's Tavo time, but didn't finish. I don't know how he said that. But. That, that would have sounded pretty epic. But yeah, he, he would love the idea that any number of Finns could do something big because he, 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 he gives like the, the crazy calls that everybody plays whether you speak the language or not. That was really cool. By the way, I don't think you've told that sauna story before. No, I don't. I don't remember, but that was a really fun story. It was I cool. Was I was like really nervous at the time. I was much younger than I am of now. Course. You know, I traveled, but like, uh, but just hearing, just knowing everyone around me was talking about hockey and I couldn't understand. And the one guy brings me the beer. That's funny. Do you have a- Give me a free beer and I'll remember their story for 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember what kind of beer it was? No. Nah. They have a beer there called Carhu. Carhu. Which, it's got like a big bear on it. I think I can't remember what it translates to, but it's like a grizzly bear beer, um, which I've had a few of in my day. <laughs> Man, we gotta get a beer soon. Um, do you have a stick tap uh, for this week? I'm gonna give it to Anti Mackinen. Yeah, my buddy over there in Finland. He's yeah. down to his last two weeks of calling games from the closet in the middle of the night. And soon, Anti, my friend, I'm gonna see you over here on the side of the pond, and you'll be covering the Cup final again in person. Oh man, um, I'm gonna hmm. There's a lot of different things I could do with my my stick tap this week. Um, I could give it to Kevin Harlan. I don't know if you saw his call of the Miami Boston game yesterday, where he used the word "frickin" on his broadcast. He, no, he uh, Jimmy Butler hit a big three, and he's like Jimmy frickin Butler. He said that on air. All right, that is awesome. But also, uh, I don't know, man. Just I'm happy to 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 have been here. Just shout out to the fact that this is a whole space that we're able to do this, man. Shout out to to the SDPN. I'll give them the stick tap because this is a really amazing space for us to do our show and 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 the fact that we have all these rooms and stuff and and all this great growth we're seeing with the network and stuff is really cool. And from Steve Dangle's childhood bedroom to this to this, man, this is super cool. And you know, this just kind of amplifies the pride of of being a part of such a great network. And and I'm not BSing. I, I generally am happy to 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 do the show and and be around y'all and and be here. Like I know I know I know I'm in Toronto for some kind of sadder personal reasons, but this has this has made my week. Love that. Yeah. So let's keep it rolling, bud. Let's keep it rolling and, and thank you. Thank you, bud. And uh we'll be back next week with a uh, brand new episode of uh CJ show. We'll have two more, hopefully if uh hey maybe there'll be an emergency pot to do. No. Next <laughs>
producer Nick. Shut that down. Producer Nick. Shut that down. Producer Nick has no. a birthday, and so it's going to have to. Happy take, early birthday, producer. It would. Nick. It would have to take something incredible for us to pull him out. It's just not going to happen. Will Kyle Dubas and Sheldon Keefe both gone? Do you know what I've learned? What the world learned? keeps turning, even if you're not like. On Monday, we'll still have something to talk about. Enjoy your weekend, Nick. You deserve it, bud. <laughs> I hope there's many glizzies in your future, my man. <laughs> Shaky his head. Uh, for CJ, I'm Julian. So long and uh, peace. Enjoy your long holiday weekend. We'll be back at it next week. The Chris Johnston Show. Powered by Sports Interaction. Want to bet? Inside the game, twice a week. Follow Chris on Twitter at ReporterChris. And follow Julian McKenzie at JK McKenzie. The Chris Johnston Show.